This week on the LearCast, I had a great conversation with Patrick Barron, who writes over at the Mises Institute. We touched on all kinds of things related to hard money, schools of economic thought, and whether the dollar can remain king forever, coming up on the LearCast. Welcome to the LearCast by Lear Capital, the precious metals leader. With over $3 billion in trusted transactions, the LearCast aims to keep you informed and aware of precious metals news and events affecting the economy, the dollar, and your savings. Visit our website at learcapital.com. And now, here is your host, Rachel Mills. Welcome, welcome to the LearCast. My name is Rachel Mills. I'm your host. Today's date is Tuesday, September 12, 2023. Let's start off with those financial numbers. The Dow is currently at 34,749, down about 500 points from where we were a month ago. Gold is at 1935 an ounce, down about six bucks from last week. Silver is at $23.37. Bitcoin is at 26215 off about 4000 from a month ago. And this is a busy week coming up with economic numbers. Wednesday, that's tomorrow, we'll see new CPI numbers released. On Thursday, it'll be jobless claims, PPI, and retail sales. And on Friday, we'll hear all about imports and manufacturing. So that's coming up in your financial news. And just a little housekeeping, neither Lear Capital nor I are financial advisors. We sell gold. We love gold and precious metals. They are very shiny. We have thoughts, opinions, and observations about precious metals, but we are not your fiduciary. We don't know your personal financial situation, and gold or silver may or may not be a good fit for you. That's entirely up to you to decide. Take our commentary for entertainment or educational purposes only. Also, spot prices are spot prices. Anywhere you go to buy or sell, Lear Capital included, they're going to sell for a spread over spot and buy at a discount under spot. That is called staying in business, which we also love, and we aim to be very transparent about that. For more information, call 1-800-816-5452. That's 800-816-5452 or visit learcapital.com to find out more about your particular situation and budget. Moving on to the latest top articles. Our number one clicked article this week is again on Nigeria's central bank digital currency, but this time it is our Lear blog original commentary titled CBDCs, Debanking, and Lessons from Nigeria. Link in the show notes. The second most clicked article was from the World Gold Council on central bank gold buying and selling titled Central Bank gold buying remains hot in July. How hot? Check the show notes for the link. But the spoiler is that the People's Bank of China was again the top buyer, adding 23 tons to their official numbers. Our third most clicked article is from Markets Insider with an ominous warning from a veteran technical analyst that markets could crash nearly 50%. Milton Berg expects the S&P 500 to plunge in an upcoming recession and says that something is very, very wrong with these markets. I've noticed that too, Milton. Links to these articles are in the show notes. And if you sign up for our weekly emails, these and more can be sent straight to your inbox. Visit our website, www.learcapital.com, to sign up and get these curated articles every week for news relating to precious metals and the economy that you may have missed. 
Call 800-816-5452 to speak with one of our account executives and get their latest recommendations in precious metals for either home shipment and storage or IRA holdings. That's 800-816-5452. And also for a limited time, Lira Capital is having a $500 promotional offer. Mention this podcast and ask for your $500 account credit which you can use towards shipping and insurance, account setup fees, and storage. You can get the credit now and use it when you're ready. It expires in 90 days. Call 800-816-5452 to take advantage of that. This week, I had a great conversation with Patrick Barron, who writes over at the Mises Institute. We touched on all kinds of things related to hard money, schools of economic thought like Keynesianism and the Austrian school. What are those? And whether the dollar can remain king forever. Take a listen. Well, thank you so much, Patrick Barron, for joining me on the Learcast. It is my honor and privilege to have you. Um, you are, let me just pull your inch your bio in front of me. You are a private consulting to the banking industry, and you've taught. Keynesian and economic Austrian economics to uh, students at Iowa University. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, uh, as you say, I've been a, a consultant to the banking industry most of my adult life. Um, I did teach um, at the University of Iowa for four years. It was sort of a part-time gig. My wife had a big job at the University Hospital there okay. for um, most of that time, for all that time. And then I've taught uh, at the Graduate School of Banking at the University of Washington or University of Wisconsin for 31 years. So I'm steeped in banking and uh, economics, especially Austrian economics, mm -hmm. is my passion, so to speak. And um, I'm a you know hard money, free market, free trade libertarian, I guess you would say. Well, you're singing um, my song. <laughs> Good. And uh, I'm very, very interested in, I think we're going through, we have, we have started a great change in the world with uh, the BRICS organization. Right. And uh, I don't think most people believe, most, of course, most people, when there's something like this that starts, often you don't realize until years later that this was the start. You know, an example would be, I myself was sort of dismissive of email when it first came out. Why would you have email when you can just pick up the phone and call somebody? Yeah, it didn't make any sense. Oh, now right. I can't live without email. No right. Same right. thing. Uh, same thing with a lot of things today that we take for granted. Um, and I think that uh, this is a huge change. Uh, and I think it's actually in the right direction. I think the BRICS organizations are doing the right thing. And I think for them, that, yeah. And well, also, I think uh, what I've tried to tell folks is that also for us, uh, the United States has got to stop printing money. It's harming our economy. We may think it isn't, but it is harming our economy. Uh, I just saw on the, uh, let's see, where was the Foundation for Economic Education? Mm -hmm. that um, the uh, federal deficit, it's either this year or next, I'm not sure which year, I can't recall exactly, is going to be $2 trillion. Yeah, I saw that. 
<laughs> now that's spending Staggering. that is not covered by taxation. Hmm. Where's that money coming from? Well, it's going to come from the Federal Reserve is going to print it. Mm-hmm. And this is um, this is how great nations uh, go bankrupt. Um, we're not going to be able to sell our you know our uh, goods overseas for an increasingly worthless dollar, and uh, it's it's just and what the BRICS are doing, people should not view it as well. They're attacking us because they don't like us, or they're you know no, they're starting a better they're starting a better way to trade. It's it's non coercive. They have a right to do as they wish. Uh, we, what the United States has to do is stop printing money. This is going to be very difficult to do. Politicians we, won't do it. They, they just, have, they won't. Well, this is the problem yeah. in that they may say they won't do it. Then the consequences are horrendous. And this is called just having foresight. You know, you have to have foresight of, well, what are the consequences of my actions that have been going on for a long time, but my actions today? When are we going to start getting our house in our financial house in order? If we don't, we're going to be passed by, and things are going to get very bad in this country. Yeah. Uh, we don't well, see it, but it will get very bad. Well, it's a little bit like the heroin addict that's having a great time doing heroin, <laughs> And then, you know, the right thing for them is to get off the drug. But in the meantime, it's absolute hell when they're going through withdrawal. So what I see in front of us is, yeah, I think you're right in the long term. It would be the right thing. But how do we get from where we are right now to there uh, without a whole lot of pain and chaos? Well, there won't be there will not be. Uh, it will not be easy. Right. And I think your your example of the heroin addict is apt. It's one that I myself have used in that when heroin addicts decide to get off heroin because they know it's going to kill them, they it's not a fun thing. I don't know how bad it is, but from what you read, it's awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, if you want to survive, you have to do it. You have to go That's through it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. You have and to no, go, you, you have to your economy has to readjust. Mm-hmm. That means it's going to be a lot of changes for people. And especially in the United States, it has this huge warfare, welfare spending thing. You know, we, we're funding wars and military bases around the world. We're spending our welfare payments are out of control. Well, that's got to stop. And when that stops, I don't I don't uh say that it's going to be painless. It is going to be very painful, but there's no, really no choice. This is what we have to realize. Uh, yeah, just reserve... as a heroin addict is, go- is going to have pain, the longer he waits, the worse, the it, worse gets. it's going to be. Yeah. The, and no reserve currency lasts forever. And part- in particular, the instance of a fiat reserve currency, that's relatively new to the globe, isn't it? Well, it's been tried before, of course. I mean, all fiat currencies fail because exactly what happens to the dollar is politicians just have no control. You know, they they want to uh, promise the moon to everyone for their votes, and they they want to cut their taxes at the same time, and they want to promise uh, 
people overseas that we're going to come to your aid. You know, we have no idea what's going on over there, but we're going to come to your aid. So they they just spend money. They're irresponsible because the fiat currency allows them to be irresponsible Yeah, for a while, for a while. But things have changed, Rachel. And uh, I, you said you wanted to talk about my article about the changes in the geopolitical world. Yeah, I, I just want to note that I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. Your article really caught my attention in uh, Mises.org, Mises Wire article, Gold Will Destroy Keynesian Fallacies. And it's all about uh, gold and hard money. And you talk a lot about Keynesianism. Um, and some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with uh, the Keynesian School of Economics versus Austrian School of Economics. But if you're interested in gold, then hard money, uh, it's, it's, it's very important to distinguish uh, between these two schools of economic thought. So uh, give us a, a little summary of your article. Well, Keynes called gold the barber's relic. In other words, right. he thought that gold was, you know, that's old fashioned. Um, we're going to have this new money that we can just produce out of thin air. Um, Austrian economics is really... There's really no one that is the father of Austrian economics. It's really, it goes way back, you know, um, you know, at least to the Spanish scholastics, uh, we're kind of the first ones to systematize it. The Austrians themselves, Austrian, um, in Vienna, Austria, Ludwig von Mises, mm-hmm. uh, Karl Menger, um, Hayek, von Bork. Hayek, these all were all Austrians. So that's where the school, the name Austrian comes from, but it doesn't mean anything about Austria itself. Right. But uh, the big difference between Keynesianism, which came out in the 1930s, it's that, it's that recent, was that uh, John Mater and Keynes said, no, we've got it all backwards. Uh, Say's law says that if you want to consume something, you have to, you have to first produce it. I think you do. Uh, but he says, no, that's Somebody wrong. Yeah. <laughs> what we have to do is create aggregate demand. Mm. If we produce it a bunch of money, then people will spend it and the, and the goods will appear sort of out of thin air. Well, this is, this is ridiculous. But you can see how politicians loved this idea. Sure. Where in the past, you know, uh, economists and really everybody told politicians, look, you have to economize. You have to convince us that what you want to spend money on is worthwhile. Uh, you have to have priorities, and you don't want to have to burden the taxpayer too much. And the taxpayer is burdened, not just by his objective taxes, but every time the government uh, confiscates resources for something, that is a tax on the economy. So, but then when Keynes came along, he says, oh, no, you just you can you should print money. He actually said this. You should print money. You should pay people to dig holes in the ground and pay other people to fill them back fill them up. In. Yeah. Now, <laughs> that is ridiculous. Um, and but politicians just em- have embraced this. So now, really, all you read, even in, you know, the Wall Street Journal is nothing in nothing except Spending is up, spending is up, spending is up. Well, spending is something you've got to produce. Production is the key to spending. Yeah. You know, and you can't really spend something until you produce it. And that was the beauty of the gold standard. Mm -hmm. And this is what the BRICS are probably going to go back to. 
they're going to go back to an, an international trade settlement in gold. Now they they're initially they're not going to they're not saying you have to back your own internal currency by gold. But if you want to, let's just say that uh, I've used this example. Egypt uh, sells, um, you know, a million pounds of or whatever of cotton to Italy. And, uh, well, let's just say they, and it's valued at 100 million ounces of gold. Okay. That's what it's valued at in gold, not in Egyptian currency, not in Italian, but in gold. Ah. And now Italy sells, and now Italy sells Egypt a hundred uh, finished cloth. They've, they've taken this cotton and produced finished cloth. They sell it back to Egypt, and their price is 105 million ounces of gold. Well, all you have to do is you're just exchanging five ounces of gold, five million ounces of gold, not 105, not 100. It's just a settlement. Mm-hmm. So what? So what the countries will do this, and I take this from um, Alistair McLeod of goldmoney.com, who I recommend people read every week. He has a, he has a weekly essay that is absolutely essential to read. Okay. We'll put um, a link there too. Yeah. It's gold, yeah, goldmoney.com and Alistair McLeod is their head of research. So if you go on goldmoney.com, you'll see it. It's his outfit. Okay, great. And um, so he has said, this is probably what they're going to do. Uh, what the BRICS are going to do is they're instead of settling in dollars, which the world has done since, you know, World War II, essentially, um, they're going to start, these BRICS countries are going to start settling initially in their own internal currencies, but that's not satisfactory to most of them. They're going to start settling in gold. Now, the right. beauty of gold <clears throat> is gold will then have an influence on the internal economic systems of those countries because what's the way you get more gold so you can buy more things you have to produce more things if all you do is buy 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 you're going to run out of gold Mm -hmm. well then i guess i better start producing something that the rest of the world wants but we're fine patrick because we produce dollars that's what we produce yeah we're very good at producing dollars (laughs) (laughs) isn't that good enough (laughs) That's a good point. That's a good point. We're good at producing dollars. No, that's not good enough. We have to produce something that people really want. We have to produce some widgets. Yeah. And we've outsourced all of our widget producing facilities to China and places. And and they're happy. they've, They've been happy to do it for a while because then they get dollars and then the dollars get them oil. But that's all cracking up. Well, now, of course, what they're really concerned about, what is the sanctions? Now, this is why... There's two. There's really two things that mitigate against the fiat dollar. Number one is that uh, gold simply is a better currency. No matter what anybody tells you, you know the gold was suppressed. It was not. Fiat currencies did not overtake gold because it was better. They were. It was suppressed by governments. Mm-hmm. You know they. In fact, FDR confiscated America's gold. I think you're probably aware of that in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. He, I call it the the biggest theft in the history of the world. He just took people's gold and gave them paper dollars. Um, So it's just a better currency. And the fact that uh, it's also a fact that no one really controls gold. Gold is, has no counterparty. So all you have, yeah. 
So what these countries are going to do and what Alistair MacLeod says is a logical thing to do. He doesn't know that uh, Glazyev is going is recommending this. This is the Russian economic expert who's brought, but is going to recommend but that they find um, one or more gold depositories that are completely ne- neutral. They could be in Switzerland or they could be anywhere, you know, but they, where they trust. And you send a certain amount of gold there. You get you you have it's a ledger just says well you've got a hundred million ounces or you got a you got a million ounces of gold on deposit at at the Geneva Gold Depository. Somebody else sends a million ounces of gold, and now when you trade with one another, the settlement is just a ledger settlement mm-hmm. is there, or it's at multiple uh, depositories. You could have a lot of different depositories if you wanted, but the but the uh, point is that. You have to you have to first put up the gold, and then you have to be able to get it. See, you, and this is the other thing: is the U.S. Uh, imposed the sanctions on Russia. Well, this speeded up the whole process because now the Russians thought they had billions of dollars of assets in American banks, and we just froze all their assets. Yeah, you know, we just froze it. It's become existential and very urgent for them all of a sudden, and that's our fault. Yes. I mean, we're just not being good actors in the world. Um, you know, we have our own bone to pick for some reason with Russia. I have no idea why. It, and I don't want to get into the whole Ukraine thing, but I don't think I I think that we fomented that revolution over there. And we you know, it's a big it's our problem with that we caused. But I'll leave that. Uh, but I think this is what is has brought it all to a head more quickly as people see America is just acting arrogantly in the world they're they're acting as a lawless nation there's no international law here and i want america to go back to being a country that pays its bills that you know is honest in the world that is friendly and non-interventionist and we just protect ourselves that's what i want and i, I think that's yeah. what everybody else wants I, I think that's what a lot of people who are not paying attention think that we have <laughs> no i don't yeah they think we have but we don't. I mean, you just have to look at just what we do. Yeah. And so this this is slightly off topic, but not really. But I just want to get your take. You you discussed how ridiculous the concepts behind Keynesianism is. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on MMT, modern monetary theory? Ta- ta- oh, that's just it's, it's just Keynesianism. You know, you print all the money you can. This is nothing new. They call it modern monetary theory, but it's nothing. There's nothing modern about it at all. Mm-hmm. It's that um, I can just. It says, "Well, a sovereign nation cannot go bankrupt because it can always print enough money." <laughs> yeah, but it won't be worth anything. Yeah. You know, you understand that. You know. Zimbabwe. It's, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'm a trillionaire in Zimbabwe. <laughs> well, I actually, I had a student at Iowa. After the class, at the end of the semester, he says, oh, I want to I want to take you to lunch. And I said, you want to take me to lunch? Yes, I have a right. gift for you. And he gave me a 50 trillion Zimbabwean dollar banknote. 50 trillion. Wow. <laughs> you must have and felt I said, Where'd so you get, rich. I said, where'd you get this? He says, I bought a whole stack of them for a couple of bucks on the Internet. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to show you what I have. Um, this right here is a stack of German marks oh, my. from the Weimar Republic. Oh, I, my. I put them all in order and they, 
they they start, you know, kind of fancy and ornate. And then as the hyperinflation goes on, they they get they get just kind of slapped together and um <laughs> they just they get worse and yeah. worse quality. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, this is from the Weimar Republic. Millions and well, millions of marks. <laughs> yeah, the uh there's a there's a I can't say it's a wonderful book. It is a wonderfully written book. It's a very good book called When Money Dies. Mm-hmm. And it's about the collapse of the German mark. And it's terrible, the impact. This had the horrible, horrible impact on the German nation and the whole German psyche. Um, I, re- I recommend your listeners uh, look that up on oh, yeah. on uh, Amazon. It's called When Money Dies. It, and it's, uh, it's so chaotic. I studied that in college. Um uh, that period in German history, not as an economics course, but as a history course, and just mm-hmm. the impact that had on day-to-day living and how chaotic and just, I mean, it, it was just all-consuming trying to exchange the money that you earned in the morning for something on your lunch break before prices went up again. You know, like the chaos, but I well, mean, it all, it, was... resol- it, it all revolved around tangible goods in the end, because the the money was worthless, it was just paper. But mm-hmm. what it came down to was tangible goods that you need, that you produce, that you exchange in the economy. And it, it, it you you can't get away from that in economics. And that's what Austrian economics understands and gets back to. Well, you need a you need a a medium of indirect exchange. Yeah, and that's what money is. Mm-hmm. And that's what allows you and me to go to the grocery store and buy goods. And uh, if I had to go there and said, well, I want, uh, I need a loaf of bread and a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. And they say, well, what do you have to trade for? And I says, well, I have a couple economic lectures I'd like to trade for it. <laughs> well, I don't think they would be happy about that. You know? So so money is an essential medium of modern, uh, medium of exchange. Um, but in the book, it explains that, I mean, there's just examples of, you know, people trading grand pianos for a sack for a sack of potatoes. You know, even worse than that, it was widows who were living comfortably on an income of a lifetime of savings from their husbands working, uh, being absolutely destitute. Yeah. Their sons killed in the first world war germany's germany suffered as bad probably as worse than any other nation uh in world war one and committing suicide because they were starving to death they had no one to take care of them and their money that was comfortable now would buy them a postage stamp yeah nothing and yeah so it's it's on a personal level it actually gets to a personal level uh that when you start reading that how awful things can actually get and and that's what I worry about, um, the transition from here to there. Like we talk about the heroin addict, you know, that's what it looks like economically speaking. Um, but I want to talk to you real quick about uh, what people can do to prepare for this chaos. Uh, do you think having a little gold in your safe at home is going to be helpful? Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely either in your safe at home or some trusted depository, uh, gold is absolutely essential. A long time ago, one of the um, well-respected, 
investors was asked that question, and he said, uh, you should have at least, this is a long time ago, you should have at least 10% of your investable wealth in gold. Now, investable wealth, he says, you know, not your house, personal effects, but what you would consider to be your your long-term savings, you know, your your money that you have in a in the bank that is is the savings your if you have stocks and bonds and things IRA at least mm-hmm. yeah at least 10% of that in gold gold doesn't earn you an interest but gold is your insurance policy right and and it will become va- more valuable really the it's it's not that gold will increase in value to the dollar it's that the dollar is losing its value to gold because gold is real money yeah. And gold will return, Rachel. It will return. It is It is going to start to return. It almost has to. It, it almost has to. You know, people talk about uh, the dollar losing reserve currency status and how it just, it just can't happen because there is no alternative. TINA, they say. T-I-N-A. There is no alternative. But, I mean, and then they start talking about other fiat currencies, but they miss the whole point. Gold exists. Gold has been a medium of exchange for 8,000 years of recorded human history. Why do they think that because somebody invented fiat currency that that's now the only thing like that, you know, it just blows my mind. Well, you read about, you know, the French Revolution, the Azignat, I think that's how it was called. Um, It was a horrible inflation in revolutionary uh, France uh, when the king was had his head chopped off, you know, and all that, the great terror and everything, that the French government printed Azignats and the currency became worthless. And the French people revolted so much that they actually took the printing and printed Azignats and the currency became worthless. And the French people revolted so much that they actually took the printing presses that the uh, money was printed on and threw them into the river. And they made it, they made it ill- they actually made it uh, a crime to print fiat currency. It had to, you had to use gold. And, you know, people that have been through this, like the Germans have been through this, they know, they know what it's like to have their currency collapse. Yeah, they got uh, the it. The Indians, yeah. for example, and the Chinese are great savers of gold. Mm-hmm. They do it in the form of jewelry because they know fiat currencies don't last. They've been through it before yeah. where their fiat currencies collapse. Yeah, I mean, just imagine that uh, German widow with all of the savings that would have been comfortable if instead she had 10% of that in gold coin hidden in the floorboards or something. Her life would be completely different. She probably wouldn't be committing suicide. Right. Oh, no doubt. She would. That would have saved her. It would yeah. have saved her. Yeah. Could, could save one of us. I, I recommend at least 10%, you know, 10%. One last question and then I'll let okay. you go. All right. So have you seen the Hayek versus Keen's rap battle video? Have you seen that? Yes, I have. Yeah, I have. <laughs> that was, Isn't that it a came new... out a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, longer yeah. than that. It's probably 10 years old. Um, oh, but it, 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 it's absolutely hilarious. I'm going to recommend that to the audience. If you want to know <laughs> in a fun educational way, the difference between, uh, Austrian and Keynesian economics, but yeah, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Cause that's a hoot. 
Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your your wisdom and your insight. Um, My pleasure. Do you do you write on Substack or anywhere regularly these days? I send my articles to Mises, mm-hmm. um, Mises.org. And so folks can uh, go on Mises.org and they have a search or just put my name, Patrick Barron. It'll take you to all my articles. Very good. Um, Very good. Well, I'll be following. Okay. Thank you so much, Patrick. Okay. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Moving on to our commentary for this week comes from the Lear blog. And it's that article on Nigeria and our thoughts on uh, the CBDC that they attempted there. It's called CBDCs Debanking and Lessons from Nigeria. Now, I would recommend go to our website and look up our blog if you would like to check all the links because this article is uh, link-heavy if you'd like to know where any of this data came from and my sources. All right, let's get right into it. Quote, programmable currency means programmable citizenry. Recently, Nigeria ran a failed experiment with implementation of a central bank digital currency, CBDC, called the E-Naira. You can read more about it here. There's a link. And here's how it went in a nutshell. Quote, when February 10, 2023 arrived and about 80% of the $7.2 billion previously in private hands ended up in digital accounts as CBDC, the poorer segment of the population, over half of the people, still did not have bank accounts. Despite assurances from the CBN, Central Bank of Nigeria, that physical cash would not be eliminated until CBDC was fully operational, half of the nation was left with old, worthless banknotes. Commuters to and from the capital were left without cash to pay for their return transportation. Many small businesses, a significant part of the economy that relies on cash payments, closed because their customers had no money to pay. It's easy to understand why violent riots erupted in the country on February 16th, 2023, resulting in casualties. Deprived of their entire wealth, desperate and hungry people took to the streets demanding reinstatement of the validity of the old paper currency, unquote. In reading about this tumultuous implementation, you might find yourself thinking, well, that kind of chaos couldn't happen here. In Nigeria, half the population is impoverished and unbanked. Here, virtually everyone has a bank account. Hardly anyone would be left high and dry with no access to digital dollars. Yes, actually. Only 4.5% of U.S. households are, quote, unbanked, so to speak, according to the FDIC. That makes for a very different landscape for the implementation of a CBDC. When half your population is in the same boat, a gray or black market will develop and find a way. And indeed, barter and trade for service emerged to fill a gap in Nigeria. And in three and a half months, the government realized it had lost control rather than gained it. The CBDC is still there, but one of a few currency options. The monopoly is abandoned, and the monopoly is where the real threat of a CBDC lies. This is also interesting. It's from the Mises article. Quote, on October 25th, 2022, one year after the national referendum on the establishment of CBDC in Nigeria, in which 99.5% of the citizens voted against digitalizing the currency. Let me say that again. 
99.5% of the citizens voted against digitalizing the currency. The then president of the country, Muhammadu Buhari from the Fulani tribe, issued a decree that despite the opposition of the majority of the nation, the financial revolution would still take place, unquote. Again, the referendum lost with 99.5% against, but the government did it anyway. Here are some key takeaways from the failed Inaira experiment. One, the forces behind central bank digital currencies are determined to move forward even if they are deeply unpopular. Two, yes, you have a bank account today, so do 95% of your fellow citizens, but anyone can be debanked like the Canadian truckers were and like Nigel Farage recently was. As long as the powers that be do not debank too much of the population all at once, they can probably maintain control of the majority by making examples of those who step out of line. And number four, to that end, as Jonathan Newman puts it, programmable money means programmable citizens. If you somehow find yourself in that targeted minority, fairly or unfairly, who will come to save you? You're going to have to save yourself. What would you do if you found yourself with no access to cash or locked out of your bank accounts? Better have something tangible on hand to fall back on just in case. CBDCs are likely coming and whether we like it or not. Have some gold on hand. Many experts we are talking to think gold will become an even more critical part of your diversification strategy and hedge against enormous third-party risk that CBDCs could bring. Will your portfolio survive in the long term if it is 100% denominated in dollars? Why not diversify into tangible precious metals that can be priced in any currency? Call us today to get started. Once again, that number is 1-800-816-5452. 800-816-5452 to take advantage of our $500 account credit offer. And that's it for the Learcast for this week. Appreciate you listening very much. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, and come back and see us again next week. Thanks all. Bye-bye. This has been the Learcast, a Lear Capital production. Thank you for listening.